Hey there, and welcome to episode three of Backwoods Belief. I'm Jeff, here again with Ben. And uh, Ben, it has been an interesting uh, response I've noted, noticed on our first couple episodes. I, I put this on our social media, but I figured at some point we'd provoke a controversy. <laughs> I didn't realize it would be Sheets versus Wawa. The Sheets versus Wawa debate of Pennsylvania, yes. I feel like we've kind of released a pressure valve I didn't even know was building up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a very serious debate between really the citizens of Pennsylvania and maybe some surrounding areas, but yeah, it, for the rest of the country. A, yeah, it's been a fairly rich vein of memes, you know. Yes, yes. Uh, which is always a good thing. So uh, we're struggling with a title for this episode, and I'm going to put as a placeholder <laughs> the John Knox essay title. The first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women. And I'm just going to assume we don't. Because really, we're just here to win friends. That's that's yes, what we're doing this for. That's exactly it. We we want to uh, we want to be winsome and have a good faith debate about the monstrous <laughs> regiment of women. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no, I think I think what really drove us to this topic is. We did the the last episode about the made to order man, and we were sort of thinking, you know, what's the uh, what's the female or feminine equivalent to the made to order man? What does that look like? Because it's certainly not going to look the same as the made to order man, because God has created men and women so differently that um, you know the the failures of a man are not the same thing as the failures of a woman. Like, and in fact, the ways in which a man fails may be virtuous for a woman. In the similarly, the ways in which a, a woman fails may be actually virtuous for a man. Um, and so we were thinking about, you know, this isn't just a podcast for men. So can, should we and how do we address the, the same sort of error when it comes to women? It's not going to be the same thing as the made to order man because um, women and men are made differently. But there is going to be a similar sort of impulse to sin in women that there is in men. And in men, it revealed it exhibits itself as the made to order man, you know, who's just um, has no standards, has no backbone, has no spine. Yeah, you can listen to that episode to hear the rest of that. But what does that look like for a woman? And I think that's what we wanted to sort of address with this episode tonight. Yeah, trying to get ready for it. I started thinking through, like, what's the state of virtue uh, scholarship on womanhood? Clearly, that's a neglected topic, I guess, but there are still classical and humanities-oriented colleges out there, but they've all been colonized by wokeness. And so people are going to be writing on this. I thought, let me just go look and see what the state of the state of the conversation is and the scholarship on this. And it's interesting, surprise, surprise, there, you know, basically the main argument that surfaces immediately is that we should not see a difference in the virtues between men and women. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's exactly how virtue mm -hmm. studies would collapse in on itself in a late stage egalitarian culture. Which is really funny if you think about it, because if you think about the word virtue, I mean, it literally in Latin just means manliness. Like vir is the Latin word for a man and sure. the virtues are just the the manly attributes. And so even even that word itself, which, of course, obviously today, when we talk about virtues, we can talk about, you know, virtues for all human beings. You can talk about masculine virtues, feminine virtues, but the word itself is gendered. Like virtues is virtue is the manly attributes. And so even from the beginning, you have to think about, okay, what are the male or masculine virtues? What are the female or feminine virtues? Um, in that sense, like 
even from the beginning. It has to be gendered. Well, on that point, it's kind of odd for two guys who are trying to subconsciously be located in the Reformed tradition, but the people I found who still had some sense on the topic were the Catholics. So track Catholic listeners out there, uh, feather in your cap. And it's basically their obsession with Mary that prevents them from fully collapsing into a lack of distinction uh, over gender. And so surprise, surprise, you know, a, a rose grew from the concrete. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to sort of kick us off tonight, as I was thinking about the question of and I don't want to use the the term the made to order woman, because I think that's a totally different question. Like you can't even talk about the made to order woman like you can talk about the made to order man. But if you want to talk about the the feminine equivalent of what of what we are talking about when we're talking about the made to order man, um, the passage in Second Timothy chapter three sort of was resonating in my mind. Um, so I'm just going to read the the verses that I'm thinking of in Second Timothy. So this is Second Timothy three verses six and seven, and he's talking about a, a particular kind of false teacher. And he says, "For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth." And so I thought maybe we could unpack that passage because not only does it talk about the feminine equivalent of the made to order man, but it also indicts the made to order man in that passage because the the kind of person he's talking about in that passage, those who creep into households, are the made to order men we've talked about already. They are the deceptive, evil, spineless sort of charlatans. I think the text sets us up to anticipate that because there are distinctions between men and women, there will be something replicated by these false teachers that looks like the Garden of Eden, where rather than taking yes. the temptation assault yes. to the man who has charge of guarding the garden. And, and obviously, Adam uh, failed to to keep that as a stewardship. But instead of going to the one who's tasked with guarding the garden, the serpent finds the woman because he has what he thinks of as a more profitable line of attack. And historically, it worked. Now, again, it doesn't work apart from Adam's failure. That's the ultimate culpable there. But it worked. And so we're not surprised to see false teachers following the same slither pattern of the old dragon. Uh, yeah. it, it's It's been aggravating watching. You know, one of the one of the things I'm happy for are some of the women who are in high profile positions in evangelicalism who are showing they have a better spine than men. I uh, think about uh, Rosario Butterfield, um, think about Megan Basham. I'm really thankful for them. You know, the men that should be doing the work respond in the most passive, effeminate way possible when they're when they're faced with dealing with a direct conversation. And you start seeing the kind of characteristics that make someone weasel yeah. their way into corrupting influence on gullible women. I mean, it the biblical map makes a lot of sense out of our contemporary moment. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about the um, there's a particular kind of person who gears and a lot of times the made-to-order man is this guy. So this is all sort of connected to the last episode. And I feel like this is going to be true with this podcast in general, is you need to listen to the previous episodes to get sort of what we're talking about in the next ones. Um, but the the made-to-order man is this guy. He gears what he's saying to women because he knows that women are going to be sympathetic to, what he, to, to the um, sort of passive, effeminate thing that he has latched onto. And so he's going to he's going to gear 
his ministry and what he says towards women because he knows that he can influence them in a particular way that he cannot influence men. When I think of the virtues that are distinctly feminine, I think a man can be hospitable. And I think uh, I think men are called to be hospitable, but a king is different in his hospitality than a queen is. Mm -hmm. And women are hospitality incarnate. And so by God's design, they receive, right, and try to make better, uh, try to improve on. And you can imagine how this this works for the kind of made-to-order man, right? He finds a community that is constitutionally, in glorious ways, made to receive. And instead of giving something helpful that bears positive fruit, he gives something that is kind of camouflage toxicity. And yeah. according to the apostle, uh, this also is received among certain women, and it bears this deadly you know yeah. deadly fruit yeah so i think about um specific examples of this that we've seen and the one that is most blatant kyle james howard is the epitome of this sort of thing um presents himself in a very effeminate kind of way very like oh i've been i've been hurt i've been bullied reaching out for the sympathy of of these sorts of women Nurture me, nurture me. Yeah, nur- yeah. I, I, I need a mom. Basically, is what his entire sort of online persona is based on, and he's doing exactly what this passage describes. He's taking, he's creeping into households, making captive gullible women who are burdened down with sins, not only their own actual sins, but also the sins they've con- been convinced that they have because maybe they're white. And so they've got some kind of white guilt because, well, Kyle James Howard has all of this oppression that's happened to him, and I need to do something about that. And what they do, what they often do, these guys, and I'm using Kyle as the, sort of the um, the archetype, but it's not just him. There's a lot of people who do this sort of thing. What they do is they latch onto a real sort of positive thing about the feminine nature, which is that they are nurturing. Women do care. They are mothers. You know, they're built they're built to be mothering and guys like this latch onto that and twist it and use it for their own ends, whether to enrich themselves, which I think is what Kyle's end goal is, or for more evil ends to just bring down other households and um, people. The, the, that passage in um, Second Timothy is so, so rich be- and. The, the frustrating thing is, we don't, I mean, when's the last time you've heard a sermon on that passage where it talked about that thing happening by the means well, of false teachers? It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't hear people talk about it, and, and yet it's so blatant, and especially on Twitter and social media, you see it so often happening just like in front of your eyes. I, Kyle is, is a very easy example of that, but he's not the only one for sure. Well, let me call time out there for just a second. And if our listener, if this is somehow new because you don't hear it preached on, you don't hear it talked about, are you hearing Ben kind of walk you through that process of giving hospitality to something that's toxic? So Kyle weaponizes a woman's nature to care um, by claiming victim status in every which way. It kind of activates a good design within them to uh, to nurture and care and help bring healing. But it ends up happening that the man leads the woman anyway. Uh, he leads her to embrace a set of values that are uh, contrary to biblical truth. He lead, you know, he he leads them into shame, leads them into um, a worldview that is set at odds with God's revelation. So now to care for Kyle, you have to believe that you are the monster who hurt him. 
And obviously, if you're the monster who hurt him, well, you need to let him tell you how to, uh, you know, become something else. And gosh, if if you're the monster who hurt him, well, surely it's appropriate for you to start lining his wallet because, gosh, look at all the terrible things mm-hmm. you've done to him. Gosh, 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 it's so sad. And yeah. you see the process by which a woman's God-glorifying unique nature is used against her by uh, by these false teachers. Yeah, and I think another thing that that passage makes so clear is, so he says, making captive of gullible women loaded down with sins. And the reason that that sort of ministry, I hesitate to even call it a ministry, but you know what I mean, that sort of ministry is so effective it is because it does prey on people who feel real legitimate guilt for the actual sins they are committing, mm-hmm. and they want some way to assuage that guilt. And well, so and they, and yeah, go on. I don't mean to, I'm just enthusiastic about the point. I hate to jump on you, but that's basically why woke took off among yep. left leading white people. They yep. have a real sense of guilt, and this became a false uh, system of atonement and justification. Yep. And oh, so, my goodness. Let's go. Yeah. No, there, there, there's so much there. It's, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with, um, we're going to, we're going to get off on a tangent here for a minute. It's the same thing with the, the mask wearing that happened during COVID yeah. or the, the, you know, the sermons I've heard on why you need to be vaccinated is you have guilt for your sins that is unresolved and you need some way to make yourself feel righteous and forgiven. And so you find the issue, whether it's a vaccine or a mask or a racial reconciliation that makes you feel like, okay, now I'm the righteous one. And it's never going to answer that that deep sense of guilt that you have, because no matter how many times you wear a mask and no matter how many reparations you pay and no matter how many booster shots you get, you've still got the guilt of sin. And the only way to get rid of that guilt is through Christ. Amen, brother. And again, this just explains, and I realize some of this is Girardian, but this explains too why there's such immediate dehumanizing backlash to the people who won't participate. You won't wear the mask. You won't take the vaccine. You won't do the quarantining stuff. Um, you disrupt the narrative of my self-superiority. And my self-superiority is how I get to trick my conscience for a little while that I'm just. And yeah. so as soon as you get in the way of that, all this religious anxiety gets broken loose. and your public enemy number one. Yeah. So I called time out. Let's call time out. Uh, <laughs> let's call time back in. And we're moving on. So you're talking about people burdened with sins. We're talking about the way Kyle um, is sort of this emblem of how this mechanism works. Um, I don't know where you want to go with this, but I might, I might, I'll just pick your brain on this. When you think of gullible women, in what way are they gullible? In, in what ways is scripture cluing us to think um, this is the ripe field for this kind of false teacher to latch on and, and have fertile prey. Yeah, no, that that's a great question. And um, oh man, I don't of the of the passages I wrote down to keep in front of me for this episode. I don't have this passage in front of me, but you think about the passage where Paul talks about you know Adam was created first, and um, Adam wasn't the one who was deceived. Um, hold on, let's just pause for a real quick second so I can bring that passage up. Yeah, go for it. I think that some of these texts are um, kind of immediately offensive to a post-feminist reading of the world. So you hear language like gullible or saved through childbearing. And because we've been steeped in feminism that wants to move from women have, you know, first wave feminism, whatever you think of that, women have a unique dignity that's important to society, all the way to this third or fourth wave where women are being replaced by men, the... uh, 
the the legacy of that stuff is to say anything critical uh, must be unacceptable. It must be toxic. And it really sets us up for what's kind of the um, underlying assumption of this episode, which is, uh, I think I heard it first from Aaron Wren, can women sin? The Bible says yes, but society yeah. says no. And you, you know, when I say what makes a woman gullible and susceptible to a false teacher, man, all that just comes to the surface immediately. And so mm-hmm. that's a long way of me saying, yeah, thanks for pulling the text up, because that's actually what we need. We need the text to answer the question. Yeah. So this is First Timothy chapter two, um, and I'll start in verse 11. Let it let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And so the idea here is that the reason that Paul gives, the reason that Scripture gives for why a woman shouldn't teach or have authority over a man is that, first of all, Adam was formed first, and then Eve was formed. And second of all, Eve was deceived by the serpent, and Adam was not. Those are the two reasons given for why Paul and Scripture says that a woman shouldn't be a teacher. Well, so again, I'm just thinking about the person who may be, this all may be new, right? We've just got done saying, yes, women can sin, and that's that's not something you're going to find in the Gospel Coalition. So do you want to help a listener who's like, man, I don't know if I've heard this before. Do you want to help them connect those dots more fully or, or sort of unpack those two principles Um for our listeners, or is it self-evident we want to move on? Um, so what, what are what are the two principles that need to be connected there? Well, just um, the two aspects you read from the text there. So there's the deception of the woman and Adam not being deceived. What does that look like in contemporary examples outside of the garden? And how, how is that process still playing out today? Yeah, I, I think one of the ways we see that is that, I mean, God really did, and we talked about this earlier, God really did make men and women differently. They have different virtues that are according to their natures. And so God made women to be mothering and nurturing, like we were talking about with the women who are deceived by someone like Kyle James Howard. That that nurturing, mothering um, tendency is good. It's right. It's it's good that women are that way and we love it, but it's also that exact tendency that makes them not suited towards teaching, especially when you think about addressing false teaching and the the snakes who come into the garden to try to deceive you. Because a very good thing about women is that they are nurturing and mothering and caring. But with snakes, you don't need to be nurturing and mothering and caring. You need to chop off their heads. And that's what men are really good at. Yeah. So if, you know, if I can make a run at that same set of questions, uh, I, I'm dovetailed with you right there. I do think that gullible women are in large part, hang with me, listener, they're in large part women who have been abandoned to a situation they are not constitutionally built for yeah. Yeah. by men who are passive and refuse to take the responsibility they're supposed to. And so these ladies are, and I mean, I, I'll, I'll give some stories here in a minute, but I know ladies like this. I know ladies whose husbands fail uh, to be what they need to be, or I know women who have cast off authority and they're left out uh, kind of by their own devices in a culture that allows for this. And the gullibility catches them because they think all I need is my own perspective to evaluate this situation in front of me. Um, it get you know I think about it primarily about men abandoning women because I'm a guy and I think uh, 
I think responsibility first when I think about these sort of uh, relational distinctives. But also the the thing I would say to a woman who's like, hey, man, my husband's a spiritual checkout or my dad was or, or whatever. Right. There's not a, a biblical figure uh, standing over me. Well, the, the worst thing you can do about that is say, well, I'll just do it on my own. Then I'll just press on and um, I'll be all that is needed and I'll be sufficient to do that. Um, uh, an easy example for me is I have a relative who is near and dear and precious to me. Uh, but because there was a husband who was a spiritual checkout, um, at some point, Mormons came along knocking on the door, told the lady, hey, your daughters are invited to our youth events. We love Jesus, too. Um, not, you know, not understanding what she should and certainly not having a husband who should be there to do what he should. Uh, she agreed. And both daughters started participating in Mormonism. Uh, one of them eventually left, but the other has stayed in the whole time. And that's a that's a product of a lady being put in a situation that constitutionally she wasn't super well prepared for. A guy left her out to dry. She didn't feel like she had any recourse but to just make the call on her own. And man, it, it just it's like generational destruction that flew from that. So when I'm thinking through this, the you know, the masculine version of this is a man who fails to take responsibility. The feminine failure is well, I guess if there's not a guy to help me, I'm just going to press on on my own. And yeah, satanic stuff yeah. happens. Yeah, and and we see the result of that a lot of times in, especially in. I keep coming back to Twitter and social media just because it's it's a good microcosm of what's going on in the world. Um, but you see this so many times with the um, the 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 sweet ladies on social media who um, tear down uh, conservative pastors who are just at war with everything that is um, pro, uh, even complementarian. Like, I don't like the term complementarian. I think it's actually just a sort of false trail that we ought to be thinking in terms of what Scripture says, which is sort of patriarchal view of men and women and the family. But um, you have these women who are just incredibly nasty i mean you think about um for for the the listener who may not be familiar um tom buck is a southern baptist pastor who um i don't i don't know the details super well but i've read a little bit about it and it seems as though when he and his wife were younger there were they had some difficulties and they wrote about it and they wrote about it in such a way as far as i understand as to try to be an encouragement to people like hey you can get past these difficulties like it doesn't have to end this way the gospel can like actually redeem you from these things um and what's his wife's name i can't remember jennifer jennifer okay yeah and so she wrote something and sent it out to some people to try and um i think sort of she wanted editing help and also just like who want, who should I send this to to publish it? Is that right? That's it. And, and what you said earlier is right. They wanted to kind of say like, there's hope even in uh, broken marital like situations. Bad circumstances. Yeah. 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 And, and man, um, the, the monstrous regiment used that against her, not right away. They used it against her because her husband, who I think is a, a um, personally, but I, in from what I've seen, has been a pretty solid, faithful guy. Um, and started talking about the sort of things we're talking about now, which are the ways in which women can be, um, yeah, not the made to order man, but can fall into the same trap, twist their nature 
and the way that God has created them. Tom started talking about that sort of thing. And it wasn't until then that this article in its original form started to appear everywhere. And now he's being trashed and attacked and, um, you know, just torn to pieces by women on social media because um, they're. It's useful. Yeah. It's a useful weapon to tear down someone they hate and they just grab whatever they can. Dude, this is such a great example. I mean, again, I'm Southern Baptist world. All the nexus of this is at Southeastern Seminary. And it's because Southeastern Seminary is ran by a bunch of made-to-order men. So Jennifer Buck, you know, says, hey, there's a time where um, Tom hit me when I, you know, hit him with a Coke can. I think he slapped her hand or something like that. That's sent off to a seminary that should be a friend and should be full of people who can help get that story of like it was black and dark and then God granted grace. But they loaded it into a chamber to shoot Mm -hmm. Uh, later when Tom took an anti-woke position, took an unfashionable position. Jennifer's over here saying, hey, I thought the whole thing was we don't make uh, abuse victims suffer through their abuse again. That's all you're doing. She's the wrong kind of victim. Yeah. And uh, again, it's Keith Whitfield, who is the provost at Southeastern. He's the guy who loaded this up. Classic made to order man has no principles whatsoever other than I want my tribe to stay in power. So he gets a chance to use a woman to hurt her husband. And he does. And Danny Aiken, uh, the grandfather made to order man, says, well, yeah, OK, I guess that's how it's going to happen. And nothing corrective or accountable is taken. It, it happens. It, it's atrocious. Yeah. But again, it's sort of this Second te- Timothy three uh, paradigm playing out this time against people who are just trying to be faithful. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, so the reason we bring these things up again. I probably don't need to say this every time, but you know, we're not, we're not just here to be negative people. We're not just here to, to trash other people. Although we're not going to be afraid to talk about real life situations with real people involved. However, um, the reason we talk about these things is because it, it is a real thing that Paul is talking about in that passage in second Timothy. Like there really are false teachers who really do prey on gullible women who are really loaded down with sins that they have actually committed. And then, and because of that, they're led away by various lusts, um, and they're always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that last thing is what I want to focus on for a, for for a minute. And it, it's very clear when you look at again in social media, um, you have a, a certain type of woman who's always they are on the forefront of every theological issue. They're there studying it. They have blog posts written about it. They have. Um, condemnations of every heretic who has not agreed with their position on that particular topic. Um, And one wonders, because one would wonder this also about a man for different reasons, but one wonders, um, what's going on in your home while you're spending all this time as the internet warrior against somebody like, whether it's Doug Wilson or John MacArthur or uh, Tom Buck, or whoever, um, you know, the what, what's that one uh, Twitter account, like the anti-Theo bros or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there, it, for the listener, it's some Twitter account that just attacks good, solid Christian men um, and women. Um, it's like, what's going on in your home? Like, are you taking care of your home? Because that's what God has called you to. You think about yeah. um, another passage that Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2. And he's talking about what older women ought to teach younger women to do in their households. And he says, 
The older women likewise, uh, and he's referring to what they ought to teach. He says that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And that to me is a great rubric for how we interpret what's going on, especially in social media with um, women, just like we do for the, for the, for the woman who's writing the, the nasty blog post about how awful we are on this podcast. Just like we do when we're talking about the made-to-order man on social media, we're also going to talk about women on social media and what scripture has to say about them. And this is a great rubric for how women are intended to uh, behave in their homes and how they're intended to teach others. And what does it tell them to do? It tells the older women to teach younger women, and it gives them a bunch of principles of things they're supposed to teach. So here's my hot take. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there's probably some listeners like, no, this this has been full of hot takes. But I think this explains basically the the Karen phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. Women are made to make uh, their homes better. You know, again, think about hospitality, homemakers who are good, um, make their home lovely, make their home function more uh, healthy in a healthier fashion. Right. That that's right and good. Well, that becomes toxic when it's applied to the whole world and a woman yeah. approaches the whole world like it's her household. The, you know, the public sphere can't be regulated the way that a, a private home can be. Uh, but the the impulse to do that uh, ends up leaving her wanting to talk to the manager. Right. She's going to tell the manager how to manage these things better because she's got this idea that her place you know, isn't to make her home great. It's to make UPS or uh, the bakery or whatever great in a way that she determines in that moment. And it it really does port right into some of the social media wars. Again, um, thinking about Southeastern, uh, there's a there's a lady in SBC Waters named Erin Harding. I'm told years ago that her and her husband Todd were big MacArthur uh, supporters. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if they were denied access to the inner ring at Grace or what. I think it was. <laughs> so I, I don't know a whole lot of details about this and we don't need to dig in deep, but. If I remember correctly, there was some point they were denied access to a G3 conference because they they had already started down the path that they're on now. Okay. And Josh Bice was basically like, "You can't. We're not. We're not letting you come." Yeah, good for and him. And it was so, after after that they went hardcore. 180 degree flip. You know, first yeah. MacArthur's the devil. Well, but you know what? Where it really gets noxious is what you're talking about with always learning, never coming to the truth. Aaron made it a point to go get an MDiv, uh, a pastoral degree. Yeah. Uh, Todd's clearly following in her wake. You know, he's he's the the cheerleader for all the stuff she's doing that's nutty. She goes to get an MDiv degree specifically because it's the degree that pastors get. Danny Aiken, a made to order man at Southeastern, greases the wheels, celebrates your graduation. Where's Aaron today? She's using adjectives that are vulgar to describe the kingdom of Christ. Yeah. Supporting every destructive Every doctrine vile and wicked thing yeah yep. supporting the 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 transgender madness um she she's a, a great example of the kind of person that we're talking about tonight and that the reason i brought that up is because that's like the theological care inside of this right yeah that at some point she has to manage theological society according to her toxified uh inclinations because she took she, you know, she was she was left exposed by a husband who wasn't leading the way he was supposed to, guarding his own household. She took false doctrines to her 
uh, breast nurtured them and they have grown up to consume the mother, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's again, scripture is incredibly credible and an accurate roadmap. Yeah. No, that, that is a great example. Um, and it, it actually brings me to um, another point as we sort of move forward with this episode is um, in thinking about the responses that we're going to get to the made order man episode and this episode. I think the responses that we're going to get to this episode are going to be much more visceral and ugly than the responses that we get to the made to order man episode. And I think there's a specific reason for that, which is that when you think about the twisting of the masculine and feminine virtues, they tend to sort of express themselves in their opposite way. And what I mean by that is that the, the, the made to order man who is not, living out or exhibiting the manly virtues tends to exhibit the virtue, the things that would be virtuous in a woman. So the made to order man is going to be passive. Um, he's going to be um, in a man, it's effeminacy, but in a woman, it wouldn't be, you know, effeminacy sure. because sure. she's supposed to be feminine. Um, but when you think about those same things being twisted in a woman, now you're you're thinking about all of the things that make a man a man, the the sort of hardness that a man has, the sort of willingness to fight, to protect, to defend his family. Those good things in a man express themselves in women differently. And so you get the sort of cattiness, the sort of um, nastiness, the sort of um, quickness to fight and be ugly and attack and demean and tear down. And so you know, when we made the Made to Order Man episode and we named names, I was like, whatever, none of these guys are going to be brave enough to say anything about us anyway. But now when you make an episode like this, these women, because they are expressing and exhibiting sort of the, the masculine virtues, but not virtuous in them because they are not men, it's going to turn into the sort of ugly attacks that you see that people like Aaron Harding or Christine Pack or others make on even other women who aren't in line with them. Well, if I can riff on that for a second, back before the degeneration of Alistair Roberts began, he wrote a wonderful essay on the changes to uh, human interactions where typically male spaces, he rightly calls them agonistic, where there's, you know, men are going to fight over certain things. You introduce a woman in and it, because the natural law is insurmountable, you can suppress it. But I think Bujashevsky says suppressing, it's like suppressing a wildcat. It's eventually going to pop back up and it's going to be yeah. trouble. Um, so you introduce a woman in, now she's in this agonistic space where she says, look, I want to fight too. Men are going to respond one of two different ways. They're either going to say, okay, well, I guess we're going to fight, right? Or they're going to say, hey, how dare you fight a woman? They white knight. And all of a sudden you you have this chaotic environment because some men are, are rightly responding to the environment. Hey, these are important things that are worth fighting over. So let's fight. And other men are responding, saying, gosh, you shouldn't fight a woman. That's also right. But when she's inserted into this environment, now all of a sudden it's it's chaos. Um, and Roberts did a great job kind of unpacking about, look, guys, if this is how you're going to do society, you're going to create chaos. Yeah. Um, now he's. You know, off the reservation on his own way, but that essay is right. And yeah, no, I, I, I mean, you remember in various conversations we've had in the past, I, I have referenced that essay a number of times. It's so good and so right. Uh, he nailed it, which is that you know when you introduce women into male spaces, everything changes. 
Um, well, it, and, and yeah, so the, the point you're just saying, like somebody's going to say, how dare you attack Aaron Harding? What they're really saying is how dare a man attack a woman? Yeah. And I, that's right. Yeah. But that, also which is a, a, gen, a genuinely right thought to have. Yeah, exactly. But she went and got an MDiv and then a public platform from which to say, no, no, I'm in the, you know, the agonistic spaces. I'm going to I'm going to criticize these men. So you're left in this deal where women can attack. Men can't fight back. And if you do, the white knights come in to uh, criticize you for doing that. It, it's chaos. It's unsustainable. The the center can't hold. And that's it, why I think it reminds me of sort of the, the high school boys um, ultimate fear. He's on the wrestling team and he's told he's going to have wrestling girl. And his options are he does it and he wins. He Yay. beat a girl. Right. Two, he loses. He got beat by a girl. Like it's a no win scenario except to um, to refuse the fight. You know, to choose not to play. That's the only winning move. And a lot of times that's that's what we need to do in these situations with these women who are um, the the women who have been uh, made captive of by false teachers. Sometimes the only winning move is not to play. Don't don't get into the fight. Well, if you're right that this podcast will get more harsh criticism than the previous, I think it's part of it that that there yeah. is some sort of remaining memory that, yeah, I guess you shouldn't throw punches at women. But the the. The place for that principle to be employed is not pushing them into the arena or letting them go into the arena, uh, even if they really want to and find their highest self-expression, their sense of who they most authentically are in there. Sorry, you you know, we're not sending you out to the gladiators. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So one more, if you'll let me, I throw one more item into the hopper here. And for our pop culture fans, uh, Ben and I both really like A Quiet Place. And I think that A Quiet Place is maybe the most oh you don't I, don't, I thought you like I don't, it. I don't think it's I've Ford ever seen versus it. <laughs> ah okay it's Ford versus Ferrari that we like that we yes. share an admiration for yes. yeah yeah yes a quiet place is maybe the most patriarchal movie you'll ever see coming out of Hollywood and at the end I don't want to give too much away but at the end the husband has died sacrificing himself you know look spoiler alert if you hadn't seen it it's multiple years old now I can't help you but you should watch it the husband died sacrificing himself and mom is left as the last line of defense. Okay, so dad has done the Christ figure thing of dying to protect the children, but there are still monsters and mom's got to deal with it. Uh, And that movie illustrates something that I think is true. Women aren't made to fight. So when they are backed into a corner and they have to, all restraint is gone. They go into emergency survival mode. So if you went to government high school like I did, girl fights were always much more savage than the guys fighting. Because when a girl was in a fight, it was like, all all restraints were cast off. I, you know, I, my wife, I call it mama bear mode. If a woman is left as the last line of defense, everything is broken down in a horrible way. She kind of needs to go nuclear. Yeah. And so you see her go nuclear at the end of a quiet place because as the last line of defense, this creature that's not made for the fight, if if her family's going to survive, she's got to go bananas. And that's what happens. And I think some of this is at play here too that. Women forced into these environments uh, where they, you know, constitutionally weren't designed to be there. It activates that mama bear mode um, that is appropriate in a house uh, in in a certain situation if they're the last line of defense. But now in this agonistic arena, uh, all that's left is just bloodshed and bodies all over the place. And it didn't have to be that way because we're not in the uh, we're not in the scenario where that version of being a woman uh, is meant to play out. Does that make sense? No, that's that's a really good point. And in fact, um, because we're not egalitarians, 
one of the things that's so important, and we sort of hinted at this throughout the episode, one of the things that's so important is you don't get to this point without a failure of a man, you know, a husband, a father, some some man has failed somewhere that has led to this situation happening, whether whether it is the a husband or a father or a false teacher, you know, who is sneaking into households and taking captive these women. Like in a, in a real way, um, there, there's always a guy who has caused this problem. Not to say that women aren't culpable for their sins, sure. not to say that they're not, you know, guilty when they do sin, but in a in a huge way, and it's exactly what you're describing, without that um without that protection, Mama Bear goes nuclear. Yeah. And when when that's expressed in a bad, sinful way, it gets really ugly. Yeah. Super ugly. Um, so I think we're probably heading to, towards the point where we need to wrap up. So why don't we get to the, um, I guess the positive, the positive end of things here. So we've talked about sort of the, the negatives, what, where we failed when it comes to um, the monstrous regiment. Um, but you know what? What does what does scripture say about the godly woman, the godly wife, um, and why are these things so important? The things we've been talking about. Why are they so important for the household? Well, the household is where humanity is developed. I mean, it's the fundamental society that trains us for all the others. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the local church, but that's why it's so important. Uh, and on that point, to, to kind of join in the positivity, I think a minute ago I may have left some ladies feeling like they didn't have much hope um, when I said, like, you don't have a husband, but you also shouldn't run out there and just try to take the world on by yourself. Well. I mean, I appreciate this text and you bringing it up because I think this is the remedy. Paul wrote that text to a local church. And so if you're like, hey, I don't have a husband who's leading the way. I do feel like I'm vulnerable and exposed. One of God's provisions for you is a healthy local church led by elders who love the Lord and who have a a right view of their calling. Right. And then what do you find within that local church? Older women who can also bolster and help uh, cultivate good things within you under the care of godly elders. And so. If I'm going to be positive, I'm going to think, thank God for the local church. Thank God for older women who take this calling very seriously. Thank God that in the Spirit's ministry, it really does bring good fruit to bear in the household and uh, in women who are both well cared for by a husband and those who aren't. So where did you want to go, though? That was me kind of leaping. Well, <laughs> well you talked a little bit earlier about hospitality as one of the, the feminine virtues, and I thought maybe it would be good if you talked a little more about what you, what you mean by that and how that expresses itself. Yeah, well, when I'm thinking about Titus chapter two, I actually think that this is uh, externalized hospitality in in such a wonderful way. And and maybe this isn't getting at your uh, question, so let me know if it's not. But when you hear that the older women uh, are teaching good things to the younger women, what are they doing? They're bringing them into their household. They're being hospitable to these women who need to learn. And what are they giving them? They're giving them good things that they cultivated within their home, right? They've, They've traveled a road where they were tempted to not love their husbands well. Uh, to be exasperated by their children, uh, to be uh, flamboyant in a way that's not appropriate, to be unchaste, to neglect their housemaking, uh, to be disobedient to their husbands, right? They they have felt those temptations and navigated those either successfully or unsuccessfully and now have lessons to give these younger women. And it's amazing how God's design for uh, discipleship woman to woman actually really capitalizes on, again, I, I've called women hospitality incarnate. It capitalizes on how God made them to function in the world. And it, it you know, it just sort of snowballs in God glorifying productivity. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. 
um, one of the things that I continually come back to when I think about this stuff, and obviously, you know, I, um, I've been married for nearly a year now, um, coming up on a year. So I'm not, I'm not an ex, I'm not an expert by any means, but one of the things that I've thought so much about when I read these passages about what Paul says to women and just what scripture in general says to the wife is, um, if you take these things seriously, you're going to be living a life that, um, every woman outside of the extremely sort of traditional circles will tell you is insane, Mm -hmm. that you can't do it, that you're oppressed, that you have been held captive by your husband and it's stupid to live this way and everybody thinks you're dumb and uh, you're being controlled. But in reality, what scripture is saying to these women is good and it's good for them and it will actually lead to a fulfilling life. Um, So you think about Titus chapter two and what the older woman is supposed to teach younger women, that they be reverent in behavior. Okay. Nobody, I think, is going to really disagree with that one. You'd be reverent. I mean, on on well, paper, okay. no, on paper, nobody's going to disagree with that one. Except that practice. we do live in a culture where, like, a bumper sticker that I see often is um, "Good girls never change history" or something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there yeah. are narratives that are directly satanically opposed to even something as common and basic as that. Yeah, and and you think about how many how many times even even in Christian circles online i'm going to use a bad word here you can link it out if you want to they talk about the sassy bitchy woman or something like that and it's like the the greatest thing you could ever be so yeah you're not wrong actually even that reverent in behavior is you know um rejected not a slanderer one of the things that um my wife and i have talked about so many times is that we want to avoid in our lives is talking negatively about each other to other people um, and I think that fits under the definition of not a slander, you know, even even if you're having a difficulty in your marriage. Now, obviously, there's a time if it gets to something extreme, you need to tell somebody about it and you need to get help. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, oh, he doesn't put the toilet seat down or oh, she, you know, does something that I don't care for, you know, that sort of stuff. You don't you don't talk to other people about something that's really basic and should be kept to yourselves. Um, so not slanders that and don't be I mean, a vehicle and, for other people to do that with you as the recipient. Like you, right. Sounding yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't laugh at those jokes. Um, not given to much wine. I mean, I, I used to wonder why these passages were put into scripture and then I discovered Twitter and saw all of the, the middle-aged Christian moms who talked about how much they love to drink wine because I just, um, you know, let them escape from all of the problems with their kids and their husband and whatever. Like there's there's a reason that passage is there. Teachers of good things. And now we get into the the real problem passages. Admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Those two things by themselves. Um, if, if you just posted those as suggestions on social media, there would be, you know, 301 responses. That were basically, but what if my husband does this? But my children are so bad in this particular way. It's an immediate rejection, not not of um, not out of a, a a good spirit, like oh, I I actually have a problem with this, and I fail to love my husband in this particular way because of some sin that I'm committing. But it's it's a rejection of the idea that I need to love my husband. Um, to be discreet, chaste. Tell a woman to be modest on Twitter and see where you get um, homemakers. Hey, look, 
I, I, I can tell you, I don't know a pastor. I know a lot of pastors. I don't know a pastor who, in a moment of transparency, would say, and these guys who are bold, they're not, uh, you know, they're not brothers who like are made to order. Um, and I say, would you feel comfortable getting in your pulpit tomorrow and preaching hard about modesty? Could you do that without any fear of reprisal? I don't know a guy who yeah. would say, no, I'm not, I'm untouched by that fear. My church would back me on this. Uh, the clarity of scripture would govern. I don't know a one. I know guys who yeah. would do it anyway, but I don't know one that would say, yeah, I have no fear. I wouldn't whatsoever. be nervous about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, I don't, I don't need to keep going through the passage because you get the idea. Like these, these are yeah. difficult things and that generally these days women aren't, aren't taught. Um, they're not expected to believe and hold to these things. And in fact, oftentimes when they're brought up, these ideas are mocked. I remember hearing, um, I don't know how long we've been going now, but um, I remember hearing, um, and it was in the the Christine Pack world of Twitter, somebody saying, well, Jezebel was actually the most Proverbs 31 woman because she got her husband the field. Have you heard this this joke? No. So yeah. Basically, because she made, uh, she helped Ahab get that field from the guy who didn't want to sell it to him, and the, these women were like, "Well, see, Jezebel's a third Proverbs thirty-one woman," and it's really just scoffing at scripture. Sure. Um. Anyway, to to say a you know a, a I'm blessed like you are with the woman that I married. Right? We're in the we're in the thank God for a wives club. Um, coming up through the young restless and reform movement. There was a shift very clearly to like Instagram Christianity for women where it was like, hey, didn't make the dishes today, hadn't fixed my hair, my life's crazy and a mess, God's still good. And I noticed that stuff and it was kind of adjacent to what I was looking at on social media. But my wife was the first person to be like, why is this being celebrated? Why is this the public face of your home that you want presented? Are you sure this is healthy? Uh, and as somebody who wasn't paying attention to it, she was the first person that, you know, I think that that eventually kind of became a, uh, a position that multiple people held on kind of that, that kind of social media posting. But the first person I ever heard it from and hadn't heard it from, you know, <laughs> the gospel coalition set, uh, was my wife saying, I don't, I don't think that this is how I should be presenting our home to a, to a watching world. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, anyway. Real quick, I'll I'll finish up my thoughts because I think we I think we've been going along. Um, he Paul concludes that passage by saying, after giving all of these tips, commands for women, things that young women ought to be doing in their homes, he says that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And so the conclusion you draw from that is that if you're not doing these things, what you're doing is blaspheming God's word. It doesn't matter what the culture tells you is right for women, you know, how great your career ought to be. If you're not doing the things, these very simple principles that God has commanded, then what you're doing is blaspheming God's word. And that, that's a really important point. That's about as high as stakes as you can establish. Yeah. And and um, I, I do want to say one more thing and then you can uh, give whatever thoughts you have. But I was th- as I was thinking about this um, and this topic, you know. One of the things we did with the the made to order man is sort of give advice to young men who are you know fearful of becoming made to order men. And I think one thing we ought to do with this episode is maybe speak a little bit to women about you know how do you avoid the pitfalls of these sorts of things. And one of the things I've thought about, and it's not a regular thing in our own home, but you know there have been times where my wife has had a bad attitude or something like that, 
And um, what's so evident in those moments is how much of an effect it has on the entire home. Um, women have such a real power over their homes that they they don't recognize. And, may, and maybe um, patriarchal men don't talk about enough, but it is a real thing is that women really do have power in their homes and God has given them that power. And that's why all of these commands to young women are there because you have real power in your homes. And so it's important that you love your husbands, that you love your children, that you're discreet, that you're chaste, because, um, you know, C.R. Wiley wrote the book, uh, The Household and the War for the Cosmos, and the place that the war for the cosmos is going to be won is in the household, and the wife has such a uh, a, a power in that place. And so um, when when she does have a bad attitude, when she is in sin and not repenting of it, it can change the attitude of everyone in her home. Um, you know, my wife jokingly says that you can tell that she's had a bad attitude when she's cooking dinner because that there's a lack of love in the food. And so the food doesn't taste as good. And, you know, there's a reality to that sort of thing. Um, and so for, for women who may be listening to this, whether younger or older, uh, we've talked about a lot of negative things about the way that women operate on social media and just in general, um, having been influenced by evil, false teachers. But there, there is such a power that you have in your home, um, and it's a power to be celebrated. And, you know, if you live a godly life, the Lord will bless the work that you do in your home. And it's, it's just such an important work because it will shape generations. Amen, brother. I, I, I'm more aware of that. You know, you said you've been married a short time. I'm, I'm 20 plus at this point. And I was not very cognizant of that power that God gave to a woman to kind of control the thermostat of her home. Yeah. Um, and I didn't help my wife be aware of that. Having um, having children will will open your eyes to that, too, because you'll notice with daughters that, man, they can make things so much more <laughs> lovely and wonderful. They can also go the other direction. It's just a unique power. Now, a guy's got to press on and do what mm-hmm. he's um, what he's called to do either way. But it's absolutely right. And again, it's the kind of thing that we should thank God for. It's this force multiplier that God gave a woman uh, to, uh, you know, encourage and take what her husband's doing further down the road. So, yeah, ladies, uh, you know, all of us struggle to do what we need to do in the household environment. But if you can be self-conscious about this disproportionate power you have to make the home lovely or not lovely, um, you're doing a good thing for your family. The tag I would add there that, again, I'm thinking about as an older man at this point. Uh, my kids have gotten old enough to participate in sports, and I'm thinking about what kind of humanity and what kind of model of humanity do I want my children to grow into, right? We're still in the trellis years. How do I want to help them grow strong? What What's the pattern they need to grow into? And uh, one of my boys started playing basketball in um, a local like City League this year. And as we're watching his ball games, my wife and I are watching these girls games before us. And there's this visceral trouble we're both having. Like I would look over at her to see what's going on with her and she'd have like a scowl on her face. These young ladies were being cultivated into nastiness through playing basketball. Be aggressive, dominate your opponent. Don't, uh, you know, basically don't take no for an answer. And we were watching it play out on these young ladies and it was feeling like, uh, I know it's like somebody punching you and then, then you kind of zoom out and you go, oh, man, that coach is clearly a butch lesbian. Yeah. Uh, what You know, what's going on here? And, you know, it's hard to tell with dumpy fat me now, but sports have been a huge part of my life. I love athletics. 
And I started realizing how thankful I was my my daughters weren't participating in that. And my wife didn't grow up in a culture that encouraged her to in sports, which is allegedly benign or bring some good. She didn't grow up in an environment that encouraged her to try to dominate the people that were around her and see them as opponents to be conquered. Uh, you know, I want my sons growing up in that. I'm very thankful my wife didn't and, and sure don't want my daughter doing it. Yeah. And so I'm thinking afresh at this stage about what are the recreational activities that are good for my boys and good for my daughter? And sports that are aimed at dominating an opponent have just been moved super low on my list. Um, you know, somebody might, you might think I'm overthinking this, but maybe something like golf, where the the challenge of the sport is to control oneself well. You're basically competing against yourself. Can I master yeah. my swing? Can I, you know, can I take the right analytical approach to the hole? I've even thought now this is where it gets blurry. Volleyball, when you watch volleyball played at a high level, there are multiple participants whose job is to set up one final teammate who makes an attempt at scoring. Now, the image of the spike and all that is super aggressive and domineering and all that, too. But I legitimately think if we're going to have a world where Christian girls don't see feminism as credible, right, you want to give them the intellectual tools, but you also want their affections trained where this stuff is viscerally repugnant. You got to take a look at what the sports that your children are being invited to are going to cultivate within them. Yeah. And uh, I think there's some that are inappropriate for a young woman. Yeah, that's a great point. And I I think we talked about this a little bit earlier on, but the... um, the fact that uh, the the virtues when they express themselves or the way they're exhibited in men often tends to be the feminine virtues, and that that's the problem. And similarly, what you're exactly what you're talking about with sports, oftentimes when um, the the masculine what would be virtues in a man are exhibited in a woman, it's twisted and wrong and just feels off. You know, it's like the um, uh, I don't I don't I don't even want to name the person, but the, that trans person who's out and about right now, you know, you see the, the hair on the Adam's apple and supposedly he's a woman. And that that's what it looks like when a man exhibits feminine virtues or when a woman exhibits masculine virtues. It's it's perfect. ugly and it's weird and it's wrong. And you can tell that it's wrong, but you might not be able to say why people are naturally going to recoil from it. That's the perfect yep. comparison. It's like. Um... You know, it's uh, cultivating trainism. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, that's it. I think maybe we have gone yep. a bit long, but my theory is people listen to good podcasts as long as they place. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we have another hour's worth of, of content to talk about on this topic. But, um, you know, we we wanted to be helpful. We wanted to uh, recognize the error where it exists. And I think we've done both those things. Yeah. So then where can uh, where can listeners find you out there on the Internet? Yeah, uh, so at Bendelwary on Twitter is the best place to find me, and anything else I'm doing, you can find from there. Okay, um, anticipating that we might get some pushback from this, I have set up um, a Twitter account for you to respond to. You can reach me directly at JD Greer on Twitter. <laughs> Similarly, um, at Bart Barber. <laughs> so it's JD G R E E A R. I will read every nasty tweet you send me. Make sure you connect with me there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually at Merely J. Wright, and I'll also read your replies there, too. <laughs> yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope it was profitable. 
We'd love to hear from you. We've gotten their first iTunes review, and I hate to be the podcast host shilling for that. So I'll just say we're really appreciative. It was a kind review uh, from a gentleman by the name of Donald. We greatly appreciate that. And uh, maybe we'll hear from some of y'all in that way as well. But either way, until the next time you press play on a Backwoods Belief episode, uh, for Ben and I, thanks for listening. All our best in the name of Jesus Christ. Talk to y'all later.